year and a half ago, the Lord began to burn something in my heart about his word and of defending his word because I noticed that there was something going on in our world that was purposeful. And it had to do with teachers. Now, I'm not talking about elementary teachers or substitute teachers or teachers that we would know, but there, there was a rise of teachers of a religious spirit that has infiltrated our churches have infiltrated the body of Christ. Because if, if the devil was going to destroy us, he couldn't do it the way he would want to. He would just wipe us out. He would just end our life. He would just destroy us. How do you compromise with someone who wants to steal, kill, and destroy you? You don't compromise. It's, just, it's a pure hatred that drives him <clears throat> to the point where he wants to literally destroy you. We don't think like this, but that's our enemy. And so if he can't destroy you, if he can't just come out and take you out, then what he will do is he will remove the very power that you hold, the very foundation that you hold to, and remove that power from your life. Now our society craves power. It craves power. It craves energy. It craves sound and vibrations and light it craves power but it's coming from a dark place it's not coming from god i mentioned last week about teaching and how even in the church world things are creeping in this is not a new movement but it has been going on and so i think it's important to address it and the reason why I believe this is key to our future is because as a teacher of God's word, my desire is for God's power to once again reign in the body of Christ. Because you are much stronger and much greater than you could imagine. And now we understand, please understand what I'm talking about. None of us are great on our own, but it is through Christ who gives us strength that we can face and do anything in this world. Why? Because the king that we serve is over everything. But if we turn over our authority, turn over our understanding of who God is to teachers that, that teach us doctrine that, that cannot compare to the power of God, then, then we've given up all the power and all the, 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 the things that God has in store for us. You see, because I believe God is going to do great things. I really do. Matter of fact, Gary, thank you for sharing. Today he says that God is going to do something special for me today. I believe it. I believe it with all my heart. Because why? I know that God speaks. And I know that when he speaks, he does not lie. So this morning, I want to talk about a very serious issue on teachers. And as I go through this, I want us to just understand that it's important to always reflect on where we are in God. Because if we don't, then we will end up being deceived ourselves. We can't just go on and pretend that God is going to show up just because we go through a certain phase or we do certain steps and then all of a sudden everything's going to work out. No, God wants us to seek Him. And so we must always evaluate where we are. So, so this morning, I'm going to preach with an assumption that you are seeking God. I'm going to preach with an assumption that you are pursuing Him, wanting to know Him. So I am going to talk about the dangers that we face in society. So this morning, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray, God, that you would help me, Lord, to give me the words to say to help me clearly teach the importance of this message. Lord, I believe, God, that it's one of the reasons why we don't see miracles in our churches anymore. It's one of the reasons why we don't see 
miracles that, that, that you promised would happen in our churches, in the body of Christ anymore. It's because we have walked away from the very power that you have given us. And we do not believe your word. We do not seek you. We do not hunger after you. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that we would restore, Lord, our understanding of what you want to do and that we would be people who would seek good teaching, people who would seek your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a very crucial time, not because of wars or rumors of wars, not because of man-made crisis or disasters. You know, you, when you listen to people talk about our environment and the climate change enthusiasts, they, if you listen to them carefully, all hope is lost and tomorrow is the end. But don't be afraid because they've been saying this for 70 years now. You know, back in, back in the 70s, we were supposed to go into a global cooling time where it was gonna, we were supposed to go into the new ice age. And, and then all of a sudden the acid rain stepped in and that just kind of washed away. And, and then all of a sudden it was global warming and people were predicting that, that we were going to live in the summertime with 100 degree weather all summer long. Nope, that didn't happen either. And so now they come up with climate change because they can't tell you whether it's warming or cooling. I don't know about you, but to be honest, I'm looking forward to a little global warming myself. I'm just tired of the cold. But we live in a very crucial time. And if you listen to them, they tell you that the end is near. We live in a crucial time, but not because of the economy or who is in the White House. Not because of the government that is established or whoever's administration is in or not in. We live in a crucial time, and if you notice that just even recently, our state has adopted laws dealing with the transgender movement. We live in a crucial time where we are doing things that seem completely opposite. Why? Because if you notice in America, over the last several years, things have gone off the rails quickly. Why? You see, there was always a resistance to the work of the enemy. It was called the body of Christ, people of God. Because no matter what, as Christians, we can pray. We have authority. Greater is God that is in us than anything and any power that's in this world. But if people don't pray, if people don't understand, if people don't seek God, then we no longer can fight the wave that is coming. We no longer can fight, and so we end up seeing change happen almost overnight. Just overnight, we've passed laws that have completely changed our understanding of what it means to have children and have a family. Why is this? Because we have been set up where children no longer have an understanding of who God is. Why? Because their parents never had an understanding of who God was. You see, the importance of the church, and I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about just going to a physical building. I am talking about the body of Christ. And I don't care what denomination it is. If you deny the power of God, if you walk away from His Word, you are not going to understand who He is. You cannot have a relationship with God without getting into His Word. You'll never know Him. This is God's word that he revealed to us. He told us, if you want to know me, this is how you know me. It's in here. And so our society has walked away. And so now we've had multiple generations that no longer understand who God is. I just recently was listening to a children's pastor. And he was trying to help this little girl. She was about seven, six or seven years old. And she was afraid to go to sleep in her room because the black shadows would be in there. And he went to her. And he said, listen, it's going to be okay. God is with you. And this little girl looks at this young children's pastor and said, what is God? She had no clue who God was because she was raised in a home that did not understand who he was, did not know who he was. She didn't say, who is he? She says, what is God? 
This is the time that we live in. Things change quickly. Just as I mentioned about the transgender movement that is happening, there is a, a push for gender-affirming care. This is from, the, from an article from the National Institute of Health. It says this, gender-affirming care, including surgery, has gained more attention recently. As more patients are covered by insurance, they become able to access care. A growing number of academic medical institutions are beginning to offer focused gender-affirming medical and surgery, surgical care. In 2017, John Hopkins Medicine launched its new Center for Transgender Health, a word that has not been around for long, a word that has simply come out of nowhere, transgender. And in 2017, they opened up the first place that would help deal with people that were being lied to by our enemy about their gender status. In 2017, one place. Just six years later, over 400 clinics around America and growing. How does this happen so quickly, so dramatically? Just even on April 21st, Minnesota passed three bills. One of the newspaper headlines said this, Minnesota passes bills protecting reproduction, gender-affirming care, and banning conversion therapy. One of the senators that sponsored these bills tells us his reasoning for sponsoring these bills. He said this, it destroys lives, it divides family, it isolates people from community and from faith. It alienates them from themselves. Today we say enough. It stops here in Minnesota. In this state, we love our children. The senator said we love our children by passing a bill that allows the killing of children. He tells us he doesn't want to divide families. But if there is a child in a family that is confused about their gender and wants to go through a gender reassignment, they now can take custody and divide that family. He supports a bill that makes it illegal to provide conversion therapy. If a child comes to a counselor and says, you know, I went through this process, but I really know that I'm supposed to be a boy or I'm supposed to be a girl, and they want to go back to that process, that medical facility, that psychologist, that person in school can lose their license. It's against the law now to help kids that are confused. How does this happen? It didn't just sneak under the radar. It's been happening ever since the Garden of Eden. It's just we don't pay attention to it. Because it's tied to a thing called science that we just don't pay attention to. You say, Pastor, why are you so concerned about science? I'll, I'll explain why as we go. You see, because when we think of religion, we think of Christianity, we might even think of Muslims or Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses, we think of other type of religious things, but you know, one of the things that we never think about is the satanic church that has infiltrated this world, that has been underground, that has been hiding. There are witches. There are people that practice magic, M-A-G-I-C-K. People that put hexes and curses on people all over this country and all over the world, and we just don't think about it. We go to church, we enjoy a few songs, hopefully throughout the week, nothing major bad happens, and then we start all over again. In the meantime, the enemy has been infiltrating the lives of people. There is a religious war that is going on here. And it's all been hidden. Why? Because when you remove the word of God from our homes, our churches, our state, our nation, you remove the power of God to fight against those things. Listen, I believe that our God is more powerful than anything in this world. Even this last week, you know, sometimes we, we forget how major 
problems are that people are going through. We get caught up our own, in our own life. You know, I got my own problems. But I was talking just even this last week to a friend that just broke down because his family is falling apart, hurt by this transgender situation, hurt by rebellion and demonic activity and tearing his family apart. And in a moment of a simple conversation, he falls apart and he just needs God to be God. Talking with another person that's in ministry, just finding out that their child just tried to commit suicide. You see, there is an attack against the body of Christ. Because I'll tell you this, you may not know how much power that God has in store for his people, but our enemy does. And he will do everything he can to destroy it. What is this power? Matthew 22 tells us, Jesus said, you are an heir because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. You see, these Pharisees thought they knew God. They, they knew the word. They knew the law. But they didn't understand that it was God's breath. It is God's power. And without power, you will be defeated. You will be defeated. The moment when Jesus was the weakest on this earth was during his temptation in the desert. For 40 days, he's without food. I've seen people break down who who can't go more than four hours without food. Our son was just home visiting. I made a meal. And he says, Dad, this, this, this is spot on. He went back for seconds. He ate like four or five chicken legs, had two servings of big old rice, just put a pan sauce gravy on that that is made basically with heavy cream and drippings. He ate and ate and ate. And two hours later, his famous words, Taco Bell? He goes, off and, he goes off and gets it. But Jesus is spending 40 days as a man, and God, but as a man, 40 days in the desert. 40 days in the desert, and then the enemy comes and tries to find him at his weakest moment. And what does Jesus do? He holds on and he quotes and he stands by God's word. He quotes the scriptures because Jesus knows that this is God speaking. This is God speaking. Now that we've had generations of generations that have been raised to ignore the Bible, this is the enemy's time where he moves in. And he tries to change. He tries to change things overnight. But see, there's something that he doesn't understand. He never will. That all it takes is just a small amount of people to change the world. All it takes is just a few people gathered together who believe in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ to make a huge difference. I do not believe America is lost. I do not believe that America is gone past a point where it can't be saved. You see, I believe the greatest revival is still coming to the church. I believe that something good is on the precipice for all of us that hold to God's word. Because the Bible says that if we do not give up our confidence, we will be richly rewarded. Our confidence in who? In God. And why will we be richly rewarded? Because we have faith that he still is God. We still have faith that he's able to save those who are lost. Our society is desperate. They're desperate for truth. They're looking for anything. And so there has been an agenda that has been going through our society. There's been an agenda that is trying to undermine the authority and the power of God. Now I believe that the last major shift when this happened was nearly 500 years ago when a man named Nicholas Copernicus released his theory of heliocentric theory. Heliocentric. 
where the sun is in the middle and everything else moves around it. From that moment, in 144 years, we will have what's called the scientific revolution. And from that moment, from that moment, when we weren't paying attention, God's word began to be undermined and the authority and the power that was in the body of Christ began to be lessened, begins to go back and say, okay, we can't touch this, but we'll still gather in church. And what happened? Churches began to lose its power. Churches began to lose its authority. And things begin to change quickly. You say, really? All this because of science? I'm not saying this just because this is what I've been studying for the last three years. I'm saying this because what started me on this journey was when God asked me a question, which was my first book. What if Genesis 1 was correct? And when I started to look into the history of all the things we believe, you will start to discover something that science really does believe. And this, I want to show you a quote. This is what science really believes. This is the book by Michael White. Isaac Newton, The Last Sorcerer, says this, once the universe had been set into motion, God was no longer needed. You see, once the universe began to function the way man said, God was no longer needed. One of the teachers of this world named Sean Carroll, he's an astrophysicist, he's someone who just completely hates God. And his whole argument is this, and this is in our modern time, his or argument is this, that if you can think of, if you can just even think of a universe that does not need a God, then, then there, there is no need for a God. You see, that's really what motivates science. And I've learned that this issue really does affect us in the church and outside the church. Because I'll just be very honest with you, it deals with, it deals with a very core issue that is, that is at stake, and it's called a religious spirit. This topic deals with a religious spirit. Because when we try to justify our beliefs based upon what we want to believe, and it's contrary to God's word, you are always going to be in conflict with God's word. And it deals with that. But Michael White said it very honestly. Once the universe had been set in motion, God was no longer needed. This is what they really believe. Science is now the standard of truth. Science has become what we would consider truth. If you want to know truth, if you want to know the facts, you just turn to science. Matter of fact, as I was reading this book by John Walton, and I'm about two-thirds of it done, and I just, even this morning, I had to throw this in here, because I want to show you that this is not just the world and its view of science. This is what people in the church view as science. And this is what he wrote in his book, The Lost World of Adam and Eve. It says this, Science, the most reliable source of truth, and it stands as the authority when it comes to knowledge. Here is a Christian scholar dedicated, and his, his first chapter was phenomenal. It was all about this is God's word. We got to stand with God's word because we're talking about the Genesis account. We're talking about Adam and Eve. And he says this is what God revealed to us. This is his word. He goes through this first chapter and deals with this topic, and I thought, perfect, this is great. And then he moves into chapter 2, or his Preposition 2, and he says this, that science, the most reliable source of truth, and it stands as the authority when it comes to knowledge. This is what Christian scholars believe about the topic of science. He just undermined the very thing he said in the first chapter. Because when you really boil what science is, what it is, it's simply this, man's knowledge. Science is what we observe and what we learn and what we can see and what we can prove. That's science at its heart. 
It's man's word. It's man's observation. And yet, when science contradicts God's word, we take science over the Bible. Nearly 500 years ago, people believed that our creator was God. Over 500 years ago, before Copernicus released his theory, most people believed that God was our creator. And then, the introduction of this new theory, for the first time, the earth did not move, or the earth moved, and the sun stood still. You see, because from our natural observations, we look up and everything moves except us. And they believe this from the very beginning. Matter of fact, John Walton in his book, in this book that I've been reading, he said this, that according to Paul, he believed in what we would refer to as geocentrism. He said that Paul would have believed that the earth did not move and the sun and the stars and the moon did. That's what Paul would have believed. And that's what people believed, even people that weren't in the church. Ptolemy, he came up with this his theory, his Ptolemaic theory, his principles that the earth was in the middle and everything else moved. And we believe that all the way up until about 500 years ago in 1543 when Nicholas Copernicus says, no, 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 the sun is in the middle and now everything moves around it. And it was at that moment where their God, and I'm not saying this just to, to be divisive. I'm saying this because this is what they really believe, that their visible God, called the sun, was now in the middle where it deserved to be. And this thought continued on even to this day. Let me give you a couple examples of how people in science consider the sun. The sun is a creator. The stars created us. We share an intimate connection with the stars. We are children of the stars. This is what science believes, that we come from stars. Why? Because it's the sun that's the God, not the creator. Remember, anything you ever learn in in any type of education when it comes to creation, they don't believe God did it. God is absent. He's vacant. He's gone. He doesn't exist in their world. In the words of Laplace, who, who basically took Newton's theory of gravity and tried to, to perfect it with math, someone asked him, how come you don't include God? How come you never mention God? And you know what he said? I have no need for that hypothesis. God is no longer needed because now they have their God, the Son, that is now the Creator. They really believe that the Son created us and we are children of the sun, the stars. Another example of what science believes, every atom in your body came from a star that exploded. You are all stardust, so forget Jesus. The stars died for you so you could be here today. This is in a university being taught by a guy who hates God. You see, this is, this is what's been happening while we haven't been paying attention. This is why there is a movement in the body of Christ because we have not been paying attention to what is being taught. And that's why I believe it's so important to understand that you need to listen to good teachers. Now, I know that I am not perfect and I know that there are people that are better qualified to teach and to lead people. But I'm telling you, I'm just a man who is trying to get you back into the Word of God. Don't believe anything I say. Believe what God's Word says. If I say something that doesn't line up with Scripture, let me know. We can walk through it. We can see. My, my wife and I, we go through dialogues all the time. Why? Because we're not trying to see who's right. We're trying to just perfect and know God's Word better. There is a movement in our society where everyone has to do the, ne the next greatest things. You know, there's the next greatest thing. You know, no, no, you remember those countertop ovens that used to sit there? You know, we call them toaster ovens. Oh, man, forget those. Now we need convection toaster ovens because there's a fan in there. Oh, forget those. Now we need air fryers, which is simply another toaster oven with a fan. 
Because we always want the latest, the greatest, the newest, the next thing. I'm not interested in the next thing. I'm interested in the one person that has never changed from the beginning of time. And that is the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. All I want to know in the heart, in the words of Paul, is to know Christ. That's all. And so my job as a teacher is to lead you to Christ. Not to lead you to my opinions, not to lead you to what I think, but to tell you what the Bible says. I've given up the right to have my own opinion. I've given up the right when I said I will follow you, Jesus, and your word will be flawless and true in my life. I will hold and hold fast to what you say, no longer what I think, because what I think cannot compare to your word. I will cling to what you say. So I've given up that right. And my job as a teacher is to lead you to Christ, to lead you to his word and to know him. Because there is a movement that has been happening all throughout history that is removing the power of God from our life. So if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Ezekiel 8, and I want to show you why this whole topic of science is a big deal. Ezekiel chapter 8. Ezekiel chapter 8. Verse 1, it says this, In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day, while I was sitting in my house and the elders of Judah were sitting before me, the hand of the sovereign Lord came, in, came on me there, and I looked and I saw a figure like that of a man. From where it appeared to be his waist down, he was like a fire. And from there up, his appearance was as bright as glowing metal. He stretched out, what looked like a hand, and took me by the hair of my head. And the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven. And in visions of God, he took me to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the north gate, to the inner court of the inner court, where the idol that provoked to jealousy stood. And there before me was the glory of God of Israel, as in the vision I had seen in the plain. Ezekiel is caught up in this vision. He's there with the 70 or with the elders there of Israel, and all of a sudden God shows up and he grabs him by his hair. And he takes him into this vision, and he is going to show him some things. He's going to take him in a tour around the temple area. And God is going to deal and show Ezekiel the problems that are happening at the temple. And after this, Ezekiel will finally understand why God said at the very end of this chapter, although they shout in my ears, I will not listen to them. Ezekiel is going to find out why God refuses to listen to people who are praying at the temple. At the temple. This temple was the temple that Ezekiel saw in his vision. This temple, this this place that basically had an outer gate, an outer wall that kept people away who did not belong inside the temple. So in order for you to even worship God at the temple, you had to get past the outer gate and come into the inner court. And inside the inner court, you were allowed as normal people to worship God. But it was only the priests that were allowed to go into the altar area and into the actual temple, only the priests. So, as we understand this layout of the temple, Ezekiel says this in verse 5. Then he showed me, son of man. Then he said to me, son of man, look toward the north. So I looked at the entrance of the north of the gate of the altar, and I saw this idol of jealousy. And he said to me, son of man, do you see what they are doing? the utterly detestable thing that Israelites are doing here, things that will drive me away from my sanctuary. Now, Ezekiel's taken, he's told to look to the north. And so if we're standing at the temple and right behind me is north, if you're looking towards the north and you're looking towards this way, he sees that right in front of this gate, in order to even go into the temple, is this idol, an idol of jealousy it's there right away why is this idol of jealousy 
Because the reason what causes God's jealousy is this, that the people have traded the right relationship with God for man-made things. They've replaced their relationship with God for an idol, for something that is not true, for a false god. And it's this false god, this idol, that is receiving their affections instead of, living, instead of the living God who cares for his people. So right up front, you see this picture. Ezekiel sees this picture where even before you can get into the presence of God, idols have been set up. An idol has been set up. And what does God say? But you will see things that are even more detestable. Well, you would think this is pretty bad. But God says, no, it gets worse. Continues on, verse 7. And then he brought me to the entrance of the court. I looked and I saw a hole in the wall. And he said to me, son of man, now dig into the wall. So I dug into the wall and I saw a doorway there. And he said to me, go in and see the wicked and detestable things that they are doing here. So I went in, I looked, and I saw portrayed all over the walls all kinds of crawling things and unclean animals and all of the idols of Israel. And in front of them stood 70 elders of Israel, including and Jeazaniah, son of Shephah, was standing among them. And each had a, a, a censer in his hand and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders are doing and doing in darkness, each at the shrine of his own idol? And they say, The Lord does not see us, and the Lord has forsaken the land. So God brings him past this idol, and now he brings him to the temple itself. And he sees a hole in the wall, and he begins to dig in this hole in the wall, and he begins to dig, and it reveals this doorway. Now what is this room? According to the way they would have built the temple, it was the inner sanctuary, in their inner rooms, that they would use to store different things for worship. In 1 Kings 6, it says this, Against the wall in the main hall the inner, and the inner sanctuary, he builds a structure around the building in which there are side rooms. So inside the temple, there's these side rooms. And it's in these rooms that are meant to store the things of worship for God. The furniture and the, 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 the materials and the bowls and, and the dishes and everything that you would think of that would be a part of the priestly worship. It's in these rooms that they cleared those things out. They shut the door and now they bring in these carvings of, of everything that is unclean and unholy. And they bring in idols and there's 70 of them and each one has their own shrine and each shrine has their own person worshiping and praying to these idols inside the place where God's presence is in the temple. You see, God did not send Ezekiel the easy way because all he had to do was walk up the steps, go into the temple, and look into the inner rooms, into the side rooms. But why go this way? Because what does it say? First of all, it says that this room was dark. So that means that the people inside this room closed it up so no one could see what they were doing in the dark. And Ezekiel goes in and he, saw, he starts to dig through and he sees the elders of Israel, the elders of Israel. The very fact that Israel's leadership was corrupted by idolatry. Things that are false, things that are wicked, things that are evil are not brought into God's presence and they're doing it in the dark. Why? Because God never sees. He doesn't see us. He doesn't see us. This is detestable. This is horrible. But you know what he tells Ezekiel? You will see them doing these things you will see them doing things that are even more detestable. So here, Ezekiel first sees this idol that's there. It doesn't belong at the temple. This is God's home. This is God's place. 
And now you bring in this false god. And then he goes and he finds the secret sin in the temple. And they're worshiping, praying to everything that is unclean in the place that is designed for someone who is holy. And they're doing it in secret. And God says, listen, Ezekiel, there's something even worse than that. Then we go to verse 14. And he brought me into the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord. And I saw a woman, and I saw women sitting there mourning the God of Tammuz. And he said to me, do you see this, son of man? Do you see this? So here he goes out and he sees women that are weeping and crying and mourning to this God named Tammuz. Now this is the only time Tammuz is mentioned in the Old Testament. So we don't have any more information. And, 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 and here's, the, here's the point. You don't need to know all the history in order to know that this is the third thing on the list that God says is detestable. This is something that is abhorrent to God. This is something that is disgusting to God. That's all you need to know. It's all you need to know. But I want to give you a little background of why this was such a deplorable thing to God. Because see, Ezekiel is now brought back out of the temple. And he's now placed in the position where he can see these women that are mourning the God of Tammuz. Who is Tammuz? Also known as Demuzi. And this god, Demuzi or Tammuz, was a Mesopotamian deity, this false god, that was associated with mourning by women. It was a ritual thing that every year women would gather around this idol and they would weep because it, it would represent the god who died. The god who died. But they would weep and they would cry and they would mourn. Why? Because they would believe and they would hope and they would pray that this God would come back to life. This God would come back to life in the spring and bring new life back to the life that we lost. And so this is why they would pray because remember farming was a very big deal. There was no, there was no Hy-Vee to go to. There was no Walmart to get groceries from. No fairway. They needed crops. And they prayed to the God who would bring them back. They were so desperate that they put all of their hope in this false God. But the problem is they're doing this at the wrong time. You see, when we started reading Ezekiel 8, what month it was? What was it? It was the sixth month. But this ritual was supposed to be done in the fourth month when right after the harvest and everything was dying. Everything was drying out because of the heat and the, it's just no more. And then the fall would come in and it was dying. But they did it in the wrong month. And all I, all I can just think of of why it's so important that to know that they did it in the wrong month is because when you are doing things that are wrong, you just don't care. You just don't care. And that's the problem with sin. After a while, those things that were hidden, you just don't care. You just don't care anymore. And it starts to affect your relationships, starts to affect everyone around you. Why? Because you just don't care anymore. Because you are not pursuing God. And that's the problem with sin. So, God shows Ezekiel this idol, blatant paganism. God says it's going to get worse. He shows this secret place in the temple where they're trying to hide what they're doing. And God says it's going to get worse. And now they're putting all of this hope in this false God to bring life, to bring substance, to bring things that they need to sustain themselves. They're putting all this hope in this false God. And Ezekiel finally says, you will see even more detestable things than this. In verse 16, it says, Then it brought me out into the inner court of the house of the Lord. And there at the entrance of the temple between the portico and the altar were about 25 men with their backs turned towards the temple of the Lord and their faces towards the east. And they were bowing down to the sun. They were bowing down to the sun. Of all the things God could have said was detestable, he said it was their son worship that was the worst. It was their son worship. 
there's not much about solar worship in the, New, in the Old Testament. The Old Testament doesn't deal too much with sun worship or, or celestial worship or the worshiping the sun, the moon, the stars. Why? Because God was pretty clear. Deuteronomy 4, 19. He tells them this right away. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. He tells them, listen, don't worship those things. They're nothing. They're just lights. They're help you to, they're, they're a calendar for you. Light to give you at night and during the day and, 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 and that's it. They're just lights. Don't worship those things. They're nothing. So he tells them this. Later on in Deuteronomy 17, he tells them this. If a man or woman living among you in one of the towns the Lord your God gives you is found doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God, in violation of his covenant, and contrary to my command, and has worshipped other gods, bowing down to them, or to the sun, or the moon, or the stars in the sky, and this has been brought to your attention, then you must investigate it thoroughly. If it is true, and it has been proven, that this detestable thing has been done in Israel, take the man or the woman who has done this evil deed to your city gate and stone that person to death. God was very serious. Don't you dare bow down to the sun. Because it is nothing but a light. This is why it's so beautiful in Revelation. When Jesus comes and remakes a new heavens and a new earth and the city of God comes down and it's there and now the city of God comes out of heaven here on earth and the Bible says that the glory of the Lord shines. We don't even need the sun. We don't even need the sun. Could you imagine if a little kid just went to heaven and saw this? What's that little dot in the sky? Well, that's the sun. What? That's like having a nightlight on during the daylight. It's nothing. And God says, don't you dare bow down to that thing. And he says this evil deed. Ezekiel, he said, this is the most detestable of them. Bowing down to the sun. Over time, Israel started to fall into this evil thing. And it wasn't until King Manasseh came and established it. 2 Kings 21 tells us this. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. His mother's name was Avezibah, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Following the detestable practices of the nation the Lord had driven out before the Israelites, he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made the Asherah pole as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. This is the line that Jesus came through, the kingdom of Judah. And he establishes wickedness. What did he do? It says this in verse 3, he bowed down to all the starry, starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord in which the Lord said, In Jerusalem I put my name. In the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to the starry hosts. And he sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced divination, sought omens, consulting mediums and spiritualists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. Why? Because he decided to worship the starry hosts. He looked up and believed that was my God. And he did it. And he made it common in Israel. And as a result, Ezekiel now sees this vision. And God says, idols are evil. Your secret sin and your worship is deplorable. It's horrible. You putting your hope in a God that can't even make life happen is detestable. But what gets me upset and what causes me the pain the most pain is when you turn your back on me and you worship the sun. Because you are telling me I'm not needed anymore. That's my creator, the sun. With that in mind, think about these quotes again. The sun is a creator. 
The stars created us. We share an intimate connection with the stars. We are children of the stars. Do you think that I'm just saying this because I don't like science? I'm saying this because this has been the religion that has been happening all throughout our history and we just never noticed it. We never seen what was happening. Because see, the devil's pretty smart. He knows his tactics will work if you just don't notice them. And he knows this, that at one moment, all we have to do is ask in the name of Jesus and everything he's trying will fail. So what does he do? He tries to deceive you from the power that you have, the power of God, his word. The reason why I can do all things through Christ is because the word of God lives in me. It's his power. It's his strength. The reason why things will happen is because it's his power that lives in us. Every atom in your body came from a star that exploded. You were all stardust. So forget Jesus. The sun died. The stars died so that you could be here today. Sun worship is at the very heart of modern science. This is what has been happening under our noses. And as a result, teachers have, have risen up during our time to teach us how science is right and the Bible is wrong. They don't come out and say it that way. They don't come out and tell you, oh yeah, by the way, the Bible is wrong. No, we reinterpret the Bible. We, we invent ways to, to dumb down what God's Word actually said. I, I did, I've been listening about Adam and Eve. I've been listening to people, reading different books, the book, John Walton, reading people. And you know what they all say? Adam and Eve really weren't real people. That's not what the Bible said. You know, Genesis 1, that, that's, that's, that's poetry. Don't, don't take it. Don't, don't worry about it. It's not really teaching us science. So this morning, I want to be a good teacher. And I'm going to explain why I am going to be a teacher that will help you get back to the Word of God. My wife came across a statistic the other day where that out of all the people that go to church, all of the people that go to church, 100% of them, of all they go to church, only 10% read the Bible. Only 10%. This is why we need to get back to the power of God, the Word of God. So this morning, we're going to continue in the topic of teaching, but this morning I just want to deal with some issues before we go. And that is, is your temple okay? Maybe there's some obvious things in your life that you're doing that you know, you know what? I need to get rid of that because it's not really honoring God. It's causing jealousy because, see, I'm giving more attention to those things in my life than God. So there's maybe some obvious things that you know you need to lay down and walk away from. Or maybe there's some things that are hidden in the inner rooms of your heart things that no one knows about because they're done in the darkness and the secret. And you may even think and believe God doesn't see, but he does. And I'll tell you this, he won't come in the obvious way. He'll come in any way he can. Why? Any way he wants because he sees everything. We got to take care of what's in our heart. We cannot let things reside inside of our heart that are not of God. Because it will destroy you. It will. And maybe you're here today and you don't put your hope in God. You're trying to trust other things in this world. Maybe trust in your ability or your finances or your health. Whatever it is, you're trusting in other things. When you're not trusting in God, get back to Him. And I pray none of us are bowing down to the side. So we're not going to deal with that one right now.
but there's maybe just, there's obvious things in your life that you need. And I'm talking about sin. You see, because here's the thing. Sin is not a, I, I don't want you to understand, leave thinking that, that I'm just trying to condemn you or make you feel bad, whatever. No. Sin, once you take care of sin in your life, it really does free you up to have a beautiful relationship with God. When there are things between me and my wife, when there are just issues that are happening, and there's a, a wedge between us, things aren't right. And we know it. I mean, we walk by and we say, good morning, and how you doing? But we know it. But once those things are removed, our relationship just goes back to normal. And that's all repentance is. That you just say, I want to remove those things from my life. I want to get rid of those things. And when you do that, you are restored back to God. And, and your relationship continues where you left off. You don't have to go back and earn his love again. You don't have to go back and just say, oh man, I got to redo this and, and I'll spend three years rebuilding. No, just go back. Why? Because when he forgives you, the Bible says he remembers no more. We remember, but not him. He's God. And he says, you are innocent, you are pure, you are righteous, you are blameless. You're my child. I love you. So that's why we take care of these things. So if there's obvious issues in your life, get rid of it. If there's things that you're doing in secret, get rid of it. Ask the Lord to let the Holy Spirit shine upon you. To let the Holy Spirit light up the room. Because maybe there are things in there that we didn't think were that bad. But they're going to lead us down a path. But the next thing you know, we're outside turning our back to the presence of God, following other things. Or maybe you're just so desperate, you just turn to other things instead of God. Get back to just having faith in Him. So how do we respond to this? It's between you and the Lord. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. But you know, the Holy Spirit is telling you what it is. Take care of it. Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. It's coming. The things you are doing have a consequence. So take care of it. Get back. And you know what happens when we repent and we ask the Lord to forgive us? Well, according to Ezekiel, God says, I don't hear them. They can be shouting. I don't hear them. But when we ask for forgiveness, the Bible says that the righteous are heard by God that he hears the righteous. God hears us. So this morning, let's take care of sin in our life. I'm going to pray for you. But if there are things that you, you know and the Holy Spirit's telling you, just get rid of it. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Repent. Go the other way. And be restored back to being his child again. Heavenly Father, I just pray for your people, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would Lord, help them. Maybe there are obvious things that they have in their life right now, including myself, God. Lord, maybe I don't even know that it's causing jealousy. But whatever it is, Father, I pray that you would remove it. You would help us remove it. Lord, let us be people, God, who are willing to let things go in order to have a closer relationship with you. Lord, let us be people who do not do things in secret, who do not do things in dark, who do not try to sin and no one sees it. Let us be people who are people of integrity. Whether it's dark or whether it's light, we are the same in Christ. So Lord, help us to be people of integrity. Help us to be people, Lord, who, who do not do things in private because we know that you do see. So forgive us, Father. And Lord, Maybe we've been so desperate that we started to depend upon other people or ourselves or resources. We started to depend upon money instead of depend upon you. I pray, God, that we would be people who seek you more than anything else in this world. And Lord, help all of us, God, to turn back to your presence, to turn back to the temple to turn back to you, to your word, and to know you, and to worship you and you alone. So Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be people, holy people, righteous people, people that love you. And Father, may you fill us with the power that comes from you. God, that we would be able to, Lord, walk in this world knowing that we hold the keys of the kingdom we hold the authority that you've given to us to be people who live life and life to its fullest. 
So, Lord, help us, Lord. And I pray that you would watch over us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.